Good morning, and let me add my welcome. My name is Rob, and I'm a pastor here. It's good to see you. Patrick set the tone for us, and just, just naming it, the reality that this is one of those weeks that in some ways gives us whiplash, right? One of those weeks where the news headlines can dominate our thoughts and dominate our screens, and um, we are saddened to see, devastated to see the loss of young lives, and then there's this whiplash, this reality that's often uh, the case in life that as, as we scan headlines, there are those that trouble us and those that bring us joy. We know that it's a season where graduations are going on. I drove through Annapolis this past weekend and the Naval Academy celebrating their graduation. I know some of you are celebrating your graduations. And so on the, the scene of our country, there are those who are in unfathomable grief And those who are celebrating some of the most significant accomplishments of their lives. And what's true on the national scene is true in our lives too. I was was imagining what if we could put the headlines from your life up on the screen here, right? Imagine there's a ticker across the screen and some of the headlines from your life or there's a well-dressed anchor and he or she is reading what's going on in your life, right? The news of your relationships or lack thereof. Uh, the news of your work, the news of your aging parents, um, the news of your year end of school. A lot of kids here this morning, all right, kids? School's almost over. It's already over. You're finishing up a year. You should be proud, right? You finished a new year. You're moving on to a new grade, right? And if you're having to repeat a grade, that's all right. Took me a couple laps to get through third grade, you know? All right, they, were, they, they held me back. I like to think I was moving so fast that if they didn't hold me back, who knows what would happen. Probably shouldn't share that fact right before I'm about to preach. But you know what? My God uses foolish and weak things, so we're all good. Um, News of national news, uh, news of personal realities, and then we have history's headlines. The past six weeks, we've been looking at one event and one individual, something that happened 2,000 years ago that has dominated the scene ever since. Uh, maybe if I quote a Yale historian, that will earn me some credibility back here, right? Um, listen to what Yaroslav Pelikan says this. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. If it were possible with some sort of super magnet To pull up out of that history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of his name, how much would be left? And I would push that even further beyond just Western culture, right? Having spent time in China, having lived for eight years in South Africa, having talked on the phone with my friends in South America over the past few weeks, the news of Jesus Christ and his resurrection has traveled far and wide and has transformed millions of lives. And so we've been spending the past six weeks looking at the news of this event and all that it means for our life. And Paul says, hey, if this is true and he gives us reasons why we should believe that it is, then it changes everything. It changes how we understand every headline, the terrible and the wonderful. And he says, hey, friends, if this isn't true, then we're all just wasting our time here this morning. Like we should all get up, go through those doors, go over to First Watch and get us some of their million dollar bacon. 
So we're going to look at this final verse, verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to ask God to show us what it means for our lives. You'll see it on the screen. You can turn there in your Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Mighty and merciful Father, by your spirit, speak to us through your word. Help us to see Jesus this morning and all that his resurrection means for our life. In his name we pray, amen. Now last week we preached on verses 50 through 57 and there were a number of you as we were going through the sermon and and you came up to me afterwards and you said, hey, we were like wigging out. We thought you were going to forget verse 58, right? Like my man Dave back there was like, I was about to stop the service and say like, hey, you got to preach on that verse. All right. But like I said, as someone who loves food, you know, when you have a meal and you save that one bite for the end, right? You save like a little meat and some potatoes and gravy because you want to finish it on that bite. That's what we're doing with this uh, chapter 15 here. We're looking at this one last bite, this one last verse. And then there were others who, uh, when they heard we were going to have a sermon on one verse, I'm not going to name any names, but they might be sitting up on the front row, who said, oh, it's just one verse. Does that mean the sermon's going to be shorter? Right? Uh, to which I responded, hey, I took a class earlier this year on the theology of this guy named John Owen, and he wrote a, song, a, a book on Psalm 130. And on uh, verse 4, on one verse, he wrote 227 pages on one verse. So the moral of the story, we'll see, right? Who knows? We're going to look at this one verse. Paul finishes up this discussion on the resurrection by focusing on a resurrection foundation and a resurrection charge. A resurrection foundation and a resurrection charge. He starts out with the word therefore. All right, and there's a lot packed in. That that word therefore bears a lot of weight. Basically packed into that one word therefore is the previous 57 verses. Right, This whole chapter, Paul's been talking about our past and our future. He's saying, look at the past, look at this one event that happened and all that it means. Look at the reasons we have to believe it's true, the eyewitnesses that were there. Look at the past and consider your life. You are linked to Adam. He is your first ancestor. And in Adam entered sin and death. Right, The death that we see in our world and that our reporters speak of entered through Adam. And we bear his image. We, we bear the image of the man of dust. That's the story of our past. And I imagine there would be headlines from our past that would bring us shame. That would bring us pain and that we've brought others pain. So he says, remember the past. This chapter points us to the past, but Paul also points us to the future. He points us to a day. He says, where we will all be changed because the last Adam came and he's going to come again with the trumpet sounds. Thanks be to God that we will bear the image of the man of heaven. So he's pointed us to the past and he points us to the future. And then he says, therefore, in light of all of those things, He's getting to the application. 
This is what it means for our life. And if I had a prayer for us here at Capitol Press Fairfax, it would be that we develop this therefore reflex. All right, that is when we come to understanding something about who God is and what God's done, we'd say, okay, what's that mean for my life? How should I live now understanding this about who God is and what God's done? That's what Paul's about to say. Therefore, this is how we live, a therefore reflex. This is where some self-awareness can come in handy too, right? We are Reformed Presbyterians. All right, so let's have a little chat right now. If you're here this morning and you're really not sure what that even means, I'm not really talking to you, all right? You're probably not struggling with this. But as Reformed Presbyterians, we need to just acknowledge, hey, we love to study theology, right? Like we have this orientation to the academy and we love to read and we love to write and we love to systematize all things. And that's all well and good, right? I'm 44 years old. I'm still in school. I love that kind of stuff. But if our learning and understanding does not lead us to love God more and love others more, then it's in vain. All right, so we should always have this therefore reflex. We should understand that we can never celebrate theology, what we know and understand about God, and ethics, how we live our lives, right? My, my good friend Terrence Little up at our McLean say, site says, theology is for life. And we have to understand that. That's what this therefore is all about. That's our resurrection foundation. In light of all of these truths, that's how we are to live. So we have this resurrection foundation and then he moves on to this resurrection charge. Why do I use that word charge? Well, because we're in graduation season, right? When you go to a commencement ceremony, be it high school or college, someone usually stands up there and gives the graduates a charge, gives them direction on how to live their life and what they should do, gives them wisdom for the way ahead. And that's what Paul does now in light of all of this resurrection foundation and these truths. Here's how to live. Here's how to go forward. Here's what it means. So we looked at the first word, Look at the next two words, my beloved. All right, if you're keeping score, we're three words in, all right? So who knows where we're going to end up? Three words in, my beloved. I just don't want us to zoom past that word beloved, all right? Um, because it speaks to our status. When he gives this charge, the first thing he does is use this word beloved, and it speaks to our status. We remember that it's... Um, before we get to do, we need to understand who we are, all right? And Paul wants them to understand, hey, you are beloved. I'm going to tell you what to do, but before we get to that, you need to know, brothers and sisters, you are beloved. That means, hear this, you could walk out these doors after this sermon and do everything that Paul's about to tell you to do. And you're not going to be loved by God anymore. You could not be loved by God anymore. You are already completely loved in Christ because of what he's done. Right? And if we're honest, we don't always think that way. If we're honest, there's some absurdity that goes on inside our head and hearts. And we kind of think like this. Like God would say, you know what, Rob? You're right. Yeah, um, I gave you my word 
that spoke of how I knitted you in the womb. And it let you know that I've been at work since before time to work out your salvation. And yes, I sent my, my only begotten son, who I've loved in all of eternity, to die a brutal death for you. And I raised him again. But you know what, Rob? You've had your quiet time two days in a row. And you helped load the trailer at church. So now I really love you. Right, like that's, that's asinine. But if we're honest, that's how we often think. And I guarantee you that's how many people in the world think about Christianity is I've got to do some good stuff so I can get God on my side, so I can get him to love me. And Paul says, no, you are beloved because of what Christ has done. So before we talk about anything else, hear that. I'm going to give you some instructions, but you are beloved. And then he goes on and he speaks to um, some of what these resurrection truths, this resurrection foundation, um, how it equips us. It, it both anchors us and propels us. These truths anchor us in life and all that we face, and these truths propel us out into the world. I say it anchors us because he says, be steadfast, immovable. All of us here this morning, all of our, uh, our brothers and sisters that were living in Corinth, right? Prosperous, cosmopolitan city. All of us living here in Fairfax, we face a danger of drifting, of, of moving away from our God, of being pushed away, right? Uh, the culture in, in, in Corinth and Fairfax often pushes us away, right? Persecution sometimes then and now can push us away, the suffering we experience, the brokenness inside of us, our enemy of our soul, all of those things push us away from God. And if we are not anchored, we will drift. And so Paul says these resurrection truths, they anchor us. A couple ways they anchor us. They anchor us in a way that our sins and our flaws will not move us. Our sins and our flaws will not move us. Here's what I mean by that. If we understand these resurrection truths that Jesus has died for our sins, that he, he's paid for all of our sins and our brokenness, past, present, and future, that's the resurrection truth. And if he is alive again, if he was raised from the dead, that means the Father accepted his payment. That means we are accepted in him. That's the proof that we have acceptance with God. All right, so our sins and our failures and our flaws need not move us. I, I, I'll borrow an illustration from someone and I'll try to contextualize it for our context. All right? We go shopping at Costco. I go shopping at Costco. You'll find me there usually every other Monday. Um, I go there. I fill up my cart. My carts, right? Got two hungry boys. Uh, put way too much stuff in there. Pay way too much money for it. I try to make it all better by my dollar twenty-five hot dog and drink, right? And like, then as I'm going out, what's the one last thing I got to do? Right, you're walking out those doors, and you do what? You got to show that receipt. I don't know what kind of training they do, but with like a three-second glance, they're able to analyze all two hundred forty-seven things in here. <laughs> give me my mark and send me on my way. But you know what? One, I'm not getting out of there with that receipt, but if I've got that receipt, I've got proof that this all belongs to me. 
that this is mine. And one pastor called the resurrection our cosmic receipt, right? It's the proof that it's all been paid for. Why does that matter? Because there's times when questions arise, maybe from within or maybe from our enemy. And questions go like this. You're having thoughts like that and you think God loves you, right? Hey, let's be real. You're having thoughts like that while you're sitting in church and you think God loves you or you said that last night and you think God loves you. And when those start being whispered in your heart and minds, uh, instead, of, instead of letting those accusations push you away, you pull out your receipt. You remember the resurrection and you say, yes, I am sure God loves me. And I'm sure that all my sins are paid for. I have the receipt. So don't come at me, evil one or world. I've got the receipt. That's how the truths of the resurrection make us steadfast and immovable. They also make us steadfast and immovable as um, the waves of beauty and brokenness crash upon us. All right, the waves of beauty and brokenness. Waves of brokenness will crash upon us. We will feel them. We will experience them. That's not news to, to you in here. But they don't have to move us. They don't have to push us away from God. Patrick said it when he started our service. Death, death is an invader. It wasn't there in the garden and it won't be there at the end, but it's here now. And brokenness and suffering crash upon us. We see it this week. And trying to go about the work of comparative suffering is a fool's errand. But we just have to acknowledge throughout history and around the world, violence and abuse and death, ever since the the fall, they have always and ever been with us. But these truths of the resurrection, they answer some of our questions when it comes to those things. Right? They answer where the brokenness came from. It entered in in the first Adam. That's where it came from. When man decided not to trust his creator but turn the other way, it tells us all of us and all of our world was broken. It gives us that answer. It also gives us the answer when it will be no more. There is a day, again, when the trumpet sounds and the, fl- uh, the twinkling of an eye, when it will be no more. And so with those answers, even those two answers, we can stand in the waves. And friends, I- I'm not naive. Uh, I don't want to be su- superficial. I know we are still haunted by hundreds of questions when it comes to suffering and pain. I'm not pretending that we can answer all of them, answer the questions about our own abuse, Answer questions about our abandonment. Answer questions about all of why what happened this week happened. But we can answer some of the most important questions about it. And that helps us stand against the waves of brokenness and and the waves of beauty. Because I want you to know that the temptations, the seductive temptations of beauty can be just as, if not more, damaging than the waves of brokenness. And here's what I mean by this. Um, sometimes we try to find ultimate life 
in human relationships, in our mortal bodies, in our political victories, in our career success, in our material possessions and wealth. We try to find ultimate life in the things that glitter of this world. And those can destroy and damage and um, disform us just as much as brokenness. Please be aware of that. But the resurrection truths... They let us know that a better body and better days are actually in the future. That this world is not our home. That we should not try to worship and adore things of this world. We were created for another world. Steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So Paul wraps up by saying, hey, get to work. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. He makes it clear, hey, this isn't begrudgingly and grumpily get involved in the work of the Lord. This isn't once off and sometimes. No, always and abounding, get involved in the work of the Lord. Fill your days with things that matter for Christ is what Paul says. In light of all these truths, that's what you should do. Fill your days with things that matter for Christ. The work of the Lord happens on Sundays when we're here, when you are serving in the nursery, when you're helping greet people, when you bow your head and pray with our elder, you're involved in the work of the Lord. That's what it looks like. Be involved in the work of the Lord. My prayer is that as a church, we would always have this image in our mind. The church of God is not designed to be a cruise ship, all right? We're like just serve, we, we show up on board, you know, and uh, services are provided for us. That's not God's design for the church. Honestly, it's not designed to be a hospital ship, all right, where the chief aim is just to bring healing, like it ends there. No, the, the church is designed to be something more like a battleship, right? Battleships have wings there where it brings healing and health, health and, and growth. But a battleship has a mission, right? It has a purpose. And everybody on the ship is there to live out and be about the work, be abounding in the work always of that mission. All right? That's what Paul says. Hey, be abounding in the work of the Lord. All right? So just know this. Uh, when when uh, Katie or Chelsea or other of us, you know, the, the leaders of the church call you up and say, hey, can you volunteer? Can you help with this? They're not asking you to do us a favor. They're asking you to pray about, is this an opportunity to abound in the work of the Lord? A little pastoral moment here, all right? If you're sitting there and you're thinking, I knew I should have said yes on Thursday when Chelsea emailed me, all right? Rob's talking about me right now. The sermon was written before whatever you got to ask and whenever you got to ask. Honestly, I think as a church we do this. But as we grow, I just want to make sure we never lose sight of that. That, yeah, we're going to have lunch on next Sunday. Come eat some pizza in the cafeteria with us. It's going to be great. Get to know some people, uh, some free food. And we're going to talk about... um, Next uh, fall, where we're, we're wanting to launch a discipleship hour with Sunday school classes for children and students and adults. To see that happen, we're going to have to all be abounding in the work of the Lord to make that happen. And we're trusting God to do that. And of course, of course um, the work of the Lord happens on every other day too, right? Monday through Saturday. When you go into work and you show patience to that colleague of yours that is only possible because God is supplying you patience, that's the work of the Lord. When you go down to the Pentagon 
And as an officer, you show a humility that people can't explain because that's not how it works here. They can't explain it except for, hey, there's something different about that lady or that man. That's the work of the Lord when you're caring for your aging parent and it's exhausting and you're underappreciated, but you're doing it because Christ has called you to it and you're honoring him in the midst of it. That's the work of the Lord. Paul says, always be abounding in that kind of work. And he finishes by saying, take hope, that will last. That kind of work's never wasted. It's never in vain. A lot of things that aren't going to last. Ernst & Young, not going to last. FCPS, not going to last. Private schools, not going to last. These mortal bodies, not going to last. But God, his word, the souls of men and women, his kingdom, those things last. So every time you invest your days, your hours, your nights into those things, it's not in vain. If you're here this morning and you are a follower of Christ, it's because someone before you was always abounding in the work of the Lord and their work is, was not in vain. And I'm telling you, my prayer is that long after I'm gone, that, that, that in Fairfax, God will be at work. Long after all of us are gone. Because please know this, God's been at work in Fairfax long before we got here. Because his work done in his ways is never in vain. The resurrection gives us the foundation for our lives. It anchors us in the midst of the waves of beauty and brokenness and the lies that Satan would whisper to us. And it propels us out those doors and into the world to be about his work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you more than anything else for the resurrection. It is our one hope for life, for peace, for direction, for confidence, for intimacy, and for a thousand other things that we enjoy in you. It's because of the resurrection. Sin has been defeated. Death has been defeated. Impress these truths upon our soul this morning and show us all that it means for the way we live every day this week and every day of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.